Welcome to the Evolving Spiritual Practice Podcast in association with bodyheartmindspirit.co.uk. In this episode, I talk to Ben Calder about integrated health. Ben is the founder and primary practitioner at the Centre for Integral Health in the town of Shrewsbury in England, where he helps clients with kinesiology, bone technique, access bars, nutrition advice, NLP, Qigong, allergy testing, meditation and McLaughlin scar tissue release. We talk about how to approach integrating the health of our body, heart, mind and spirit. Ben has been practicing Qigong for 30 years, is a long-time meditator and has been a professional kinesiologist for 18 years. In this conversation, we focus in particular on nutrition, epigenetics, the relationship between the practitioner and the client, the importance of flow, how spiritual bypassing can ignore health issues, and how to stay sane and healthy during coronavirus lockdowns. Ben Calder, welcome uh, to the Evolving Spiritual Practice podcast slash Body, Heart, Mind, Spirit YouTube channel. Uh, probably, well, definitely be appearing on both of those platforms. Um, and we, I wanted to talk to you today about an, an integrated, holistic, multidisciplinary approach to health. And that's that's your uh, wheelhouse. Um, I believe that's the expression. <laughs> it's funny how you pick up these expressions. I don't even know what the hell that means. It's just what I hear <laughs> out there. That's your neck of the woods, your domain. Um, I've just you know, been on um, uh, your w- website. Well, you should say we met. Um, we probably haven't seen each other for quite a few years, but we did some mm. workshops together around this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and you would I'll get you to to say, tell the story, but you set up a, an actual center, um, d- basic with a you know this multidisciplinary, integrated, holistic approach to health, um, and uh, I've been looking on your website. It looks like you're even though the center is closed because of COVID. That- we're no, we're we're open again now. We, oh, uh, we managed to, to reopen in in December, um, and and then we uh, after a little bit of uh, toing and froing in January after the, uh, the 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 new set of guidelines that came out, we uh, we closed for uh, just over a week, and then we're reopen again now. So, but uh, under very specific conditions. But uh, oh, that's. But hi as well, Ralph. It's it's nice yeah, to be here with you as well. You know, it's uh, it, it seems like it's been a long time since you and I had a, a conversation, and and certainly lots of things have taken place there. So it's a real pleasure for me to be here with you and, and to be invited into the podcast. Thank you. How how would you define the core principles of integrated health? It's a really interesting one for me, even from a, a historical point of view. You know, as we record this now here at the beginning of February, uh, I am literally about to uh, have my 18th anniversary uh, working professionally as a kinesiologist, which is is my kind of primary background, which has led me into such a, a multidisciplinary work and and saw 
how I guess you know from from that integral point of view the the pluralistic apprenticeship that I'd had uh, into holistic health uh, and, and a lot of horizontal development at that point uh, and then being introduced to the integral model in kind of 2010 2011 uh, and and how that really helped my my thinking evolved um, you know, as a natural part of being a, a practitioner of, of complementary medicine here in the UK, we have continued professional development requirements for our insurance and our professional associations. So I'd, I'd always been in this process of, of kind of choosing what else do I think I need to know? What, what else interests me about uh, about health that I feel like I'm getting stuck with with my clients and that if I had more information I, I could do something with so I would wander off into these various areas uh, and, and do stuff because it interested me and, and, and I've had clients that say well I'm struggling with this what do we do with it um, and so when I got introduced into integral theory it suddenly gave me this beautiful uh, holding frame of this is what you're doing this is why you're choosing the these different parts and you know and so we we have this this beautiful aspect of the the four quadrants the four basic dimensions and in integral uh, so we have our mind our body our culture which i tend to distill uh, partly into relationships and then into uh, the environment and uh, i i I love the way that both uh, Ken Wilber and Martin Uchik have, have described what we do as, as development of uh, body, mind and spirit uh, in, you know, in all ways of, of truth, beauty, goodness and function. So the, that development of, of an increased amount of truth, beauty, goodness and function really is, is what I use as why am I trying to do what, what I'm doing with people when they arrive with me and, and we look at their requirements. I'm, I'm trying to understand where do they require more truth, beauty, goodness and function? You know, what is it that, that's lacking? Are we talking about something that's a, a dimension primarily controlled by the mind or by something going on with the body or by something going on with the relationships and the culture that they're in? Or is it something environmental? Uh, and so those tend to be the spaces that I begin in and, uh, and look for the gaps, essentially. You know, where is this person already doing well with something? Where are they not doing so well? And where are they pathological or where are their, their real problems? And, and what can we do to easily start affecting those and changing those in uh, easy degrees as well? You know, sometimes we, we look too much for the thing that needs the sledgehammer without realizing that the little adjustments that we could make probably will need us not needing a sledgehammer later on. So, uh, and, and developing something within the capacity of each client that I work with. So I guess that would be my, my key, goodness, truth, beauty, and function. <laughs> yeah, so in a way you're, um, I mean, this isn't, uh, you know, the, 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 the podcast and YouTube channel that I do is not uh, specifically to do with integral mm -hmm. theory and work at Ken Wilber, although that does feature, has been a massive influence on, on my life. Yeah. Um, and um, <clears throat> I mean, I do, I do think the it's, it's a map that says on the map, the map is not the territory. But I do think people that get into the integral theory forget that. <laughs> Definitely. 
uh, and start thinking that the map's like a complete description of reality and all of that stuff. And I, I certainly been through that phase, uh, few, you know, a few years ago and kind of woken up after that out of that dream, yeah. you know, with a bit of a hangover. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, reality is ultimately mysterious and you know we've got these kind of but it's, it's a bit like we can we can get people um onto the moon um using mathematical equations and technology but so much of the process of of of, of getting someone onto the moon we don't understand all the workings of it. I mean, you know, you can use a piece of equipment that you know works, but you can't explain every single aspect of it. Sure. Um, and so you need to know enough. So, I mean, this, you know, how this applies to health is that there are things that work mm -hmm. and they've been proven to work over a very long time, often, uh, hundreds of years. And sometimes you don't you'll never get to the bottom of actually understanding why it works. Yeah. I mean, it, it, one example of that is consciousness is a great mystery and the interaction of co consciousness and matter. And, you know, e even if those two things are separate, separate things or separable, whatever. Um, and I, and I, so there's this there's this there's this balance between um, using really useful maps that actually make change happen, uh, yeah. and if you're applying that to health, it makes good health happen. But there is also you know, you're holding it lightly enough that you know ultimately this is all quite mysterious, and um, keeping your ears open for new maps that can be either plugged into the map you're using or their uh you know subsidiary or or you can do it alongside uh you know so it's i think one of the things that's really great about this holistic multidisciplinary integrated approach is that you're kind of open to all of these angles and mm -hmm. you, you're trying to keep your ears open you're bringing them all all together and seeing how they work in a synergy um and it's it's a kind of it's a reaction against this kind of uh, panacea, um, one one method approach, you know, that's yeah. the panacea which sorts everything out. And we all know um, that that actually doesn't work. There's no panacea. Um, and I'm always falling for the trap myself. You know, I've got to, got to be honest about that. I always find the thing that I think, oh, there we go. That's it. And then, you know, it's not, it's just part of this, mesh but you and i have been you know kind of exploring various aspects of uh, of consciousness of development of life you know both of us for, for decades now so thankfully i think we we get to that point of maturity where when we do get the, those things that that seem super vital and super potent we can have that excitement of them for the moment, but we can also remember that they they still are part of, of what fits into the the bigger whole, as it were. And you know, I, I like the the integral framework because it gives me a guiding orientation. So it, it just helps me to remember to look at various parts of what's going on. 
and and yet every person that steps into a room with me to to work with me for whatever reason and and, and those reasons can be so varied I mean you know I think somewhere now in the region of about 17,000 clinical hours of practice and so yeah I mean it, it's been a full-time it's been a very full-time career uh, and so I've seen so many things that that there's a part of me now that that knows there is no one thing that there there is only the unique journey of the individual and you know for one person the the the, the necessity might be something in nutrition for another in relationships for another it might be in the way that they're framing the world for another, it might be that if they got rid of all the clutter out of their bedroom and reorientated the bed so they woke up facing the sunrise, it would change their lives. And, and sometimes the details that make the difference, I've found, can be so obscure and so random and so unique that they're only going to work for that individual because that's part of their, their ritual, their process of transformation and, and I think that we all have a buy-in to a degree. And the more that we, we have a buy-in with the system that we choose to work with, however that works, the more likelihood we are to create a change up to a point. Because that part of us that is then placebo-driven, the part of us that is reacting because we like that, it is going to respond better. And, and so, you know, I, I really... I couldn't ever tell you that there is a procedure for asthmatics or there is a procedure for people that have allergies or there's a procedure for people that have confidence because my, my experience of working with thousands of individuals within all of these different frames is that every one of them was unique. And, and that's what makes my work so alive for me is that I don't actually know where I'm going when somebody steps into a room with me. I, you know, uh, we will start, as, as you and I, I will ask some questions and we'll explore and, and start to build up a picture. And sometimes it's only as that relationship evolves over a series of sessions that that person actually knows what they're really trying to do in the first place. You know, it, it might not be anything to do with what brought them to me. Hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's really of the moment, um, this bespoke, unique, individualised approach to health and medicine and everything. I mean, it's you know, we, we, we do Airbnb at our house and we've got a, a, a bus. Um, for, we've got a few things, but one of them is a bus. And it's, you know, there's nothing else like, you know, it's, it's a one and it's a unique bus. There's probably not another one like it in the world. People come that you know, and it's it that they, they like that, and 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 that's very very popular. Um, you know, versus the a Holiday Inn or something mm. like that. I mean, I'm not saying Holiday Inns don't have their place, um, but it's a bit you know uh, our approach to medicine and health is kind of you know it's all tied up with postmodernism and you know that the up the, the the rise of postmodernism culturally and the importance of the individual and the not the cookie cutter approach mm. um so it's it's quite a departure from um you know the production line approach of well you know this this just take this next person just take this I mean, it's a bit like with with psych psychotherapy, uh, just prescribing people this similar, you know, SSRIs. Just just take these, you feel 
you'll feel better. Take these, take these. Um, whereas psychotherapy, for example, is a is a very very the mind is is a very diverse place, um, and it makes me think of of meditation that it took me years of practicing meditation to find the type of meditation that really lit me up it took about mm -hmm. 10 years of practice mm -hmm. um so there's you know there's no such thing as meditate you, know, you could go to see someone uh alternative health practitioner they say well i i recommend you meditate but yeah you know, then what do you mean by meditation do you mean yeah. this type of meditation that type of meditation and you 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 must experiment with all these things yeah but at the same time you need to put enough time in with each of them to actually start to get some of the benefit of it and it again that's there's these these uh cost to benefit analyses you always have to make when you enter any activity or health modality um and part of that lies with the practitioner who's recommending these things but then also as a participant you you're not just a passive yeah. you can't be you know you've no. got to Bring yourself to you need to make some decisions yourself yeah. Yeah. um so there's this it's more of a mutuality model um yeah. rather than you just go sit there and the guy in the white coat tells you exactly what to do yeah yeah and you know within the, the work that i do relationship is key you know, I, I I would be a liar if I didn't say that over the years that there's been a number of people that they've come to work with me and I'm just not the right person for them. You know, my approach and how I look at the world and the kind of things that I would expect off of them as clients, because as you mentioned, that participation without it, uh, what, what I would do with somebody would not work. You know, I, I need them to buy in. I need them to take part in that process. So, you know, as much as some of the work I do, some of the soft tissue manipulation and other work, it's relatively passive. What I do in the hour or so that I spend time with them when they come and see me is only part of what I actually require, because what they do when they go away will actually determine whether or not what I did has an effect. Mm -hmm. So so there needs to be this understanding about people's roles and responsibilities in their own healing process. And, and I use this analogy that the reason that somebody is in the state that they are in when they arrive with me is the sum total of everything that they have and haven't done up until that moment. And the reason that it's not worse is because some of the stuff they've chosen to do has helped keep them well. And the reason it is there is because the other stuff didn't. So now what we've got to do is identify what stuff is really supporting them, what stuff isn't, and reduce the stuff that isn't and increase the stuff or, or include new stuff that will. And, you know, at a simple way of looking at it, that's essentially all work we're going to do. We're going to get rid of the stuff that ain't helping and we're going to increase the stuff that is helping. And we've just got to identify what it is for, for an individual, what that really means for them in this time, not what it meant when they were, you know, younger or as a child or what it might mean for them in 10 years. And, and I think it, it's something that I think certainly within perhaps the diet industry, nutrition industry, there isn't enough discussion about the fact that, well, it, it's winter right now. Why would I recommend salads to you? Cold, damp food in cold British damp weather is not conducive to good health. Mm -hmm. So we actually have to have this self-awareness that allows us to adapt as we go along. And, and part of the process that I'm, I'm really trying to encourage with my clients over time 
is that they get a sense of that themselves. You know, how does this thing sit with you? Does it feel like it works for you? If it doesn't, what would give you a better uh, kind of sensation of success within that? So that they're, they're not just being told that they need to do X, Y, Z at this time each day, and, and that's it. And again, it, it, it's through integral that some of that scalability and some of that adaptability is, is really kind of, uh, I've kind of stolen that and taken that and put it into the health practice as well. It, it may, reminds me of that saying, if you give someone a fish, you feed them for that day. But if you teach someone to fish, then they're fed for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And, you know, when I when I go to see a GP, you know, I've got my five minutes or eight minutes or whatever it is um, with them. And, and they just sort of, you know, they're doing that, giving me a fish. Mm, yeah. um, and what you're describing is, well, I'm going to give you a fish right now. <laughs> um, but you know i want my purpose here is to make you to help to help not make you help you be healthy um yeah. forever and uh you know it's that again that takes a, a a shift in the as a as a patient you're asking more of a patient you know it's yeah. um which would put some patients so I mean, you know, there are people that just want to be told what to do. I mean, I, I taught the drums for 14 years mm -hmm. um, and I would have some pupils that I would. They would only ever do what we did in the lesson. They'd mm -hmm. never practice. Mm -hmm. So it's like we would just be moving so slowly because it was. And, and then there are other uh, students that did loads of practice and they just made r rapid growth and it was really ex a really exciting journey and a wild ride and and we were doing it together you know it was, yeah. it was that feeling of we're in this together and i'm i'm just helping you yeah um I, i'm just guiding your own innate drive to learn the drums yeah. um uh, and, and it's part of i think that's that, that comes feeds back into this integral uh model of health is that yeah. you it, it's you're in it together and and the other thing to mention um is that the as a practitioner you're not just a brain giving them information you you do this stuff yourself mm -hmm. you know it's not, um you know that again so you you know you could be a doctor you could be the most unhealthy a, a gp the a really I mean, a lot of a lot of gps actually are very unhealthy people yeah uh, and they're telling people all day how to be healthy and and there's we we have this kind of instinctive bullshit detector um and as you you're saying that the rapport and relationship with the practitioner you're going to see is really key and it actually facilitates a lot of the healing and health promotion yeah. uh, just through that feeling of, i can trust this person they walk their talk yeah yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it also comes down to, to having realistic expectations of, of who it is that you, you go and see. I mean, certainly in the early days of my, my practice, and, and I class myself now as an integral practitioner, I used to consider myself as a holistic practitioner. Uh, and in those early days, which were embedded much more in the, um, the kind of the subtle toxicity of the kind of postmodernistic view 
as well, which kind of created this separation away from conventional medicine, away from that kind of doctor space. And, and yet really the, the truth is, is manage the expectations of what you expect out of that service. And if you understand what that service can provide, then your expectations about what you will ask for and how you will behave within it will change. And, and that's very much the case. I mean, I, I, like, I, I loved it there that you said, you know, you can have a doctor who, who's blatantly unhealthy and yet they'll spend their day telling people about health. And, and in my mind, I went, no, actually, what they'll do is they'll spend their day telling people how to arrest sickness. Oh, OK. And that's, yeah. and that's not the same thing. That's true. You know, yeah. there, there's a big difference. I mean, it, you know, we can take vitamins as a really interesting example. There's a big difference between an RDA, which the recommended daily allowance is enough to stop you getting a disease of deficiency. What it doesn't do is make you healthy, you know, to have a healthy therapeutic dose, maybe hundreds, sometimes even thousand times higher than an RDA. But there's a difference between not having sickness and having health. So again, it's, it's having those relationships, managing those expectations and, and really helping people understand what they're going to get if they use a, a service like mine in comparison to a GP's. And, and for some people, that, that's quite challenging because they, they don't really know how to have responsibility for themselves in that way and so they sometimes don't like it when the answers that they get back from me are you're going to have to choose you know you're you know when you go out there can I eat this or this well you're going to have to choose because on that day how are you you know how does that feel for your body does it feel like it's going to add nourishment does it feel like it's going to add vitality does it give your life a sense of richness to include that thing and if it doesn't probably don't have it mm. you know so it's teaching people to think differently as well to have a different awareness to observe themselves and the factors that influence them you know, so even coming back to, to aspects, you know, like how our relationships influence us, like how our language influences, like how our, our shadow self can influence us, you know, all of these factors uh, have a big uh, kind of impact on our overall health. So being able to gradually uh, take people into those areas where they have those developmental blind spots and help them to evolve that so that ultimately they don't need me. You know, they can go away and they can make a, a lot bigger choices for themselves. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, if I was in a car accident or I broke my arm, I'd be down the hospital straight away. Mm. You know, there would be no doubt about that. But once I understood what was going on and I used the service for what it is best at, I would then look at what else I needed to do from that integral framework in terms of how do I look after my mind, my body, my relationships, my environment with that injury to give me that optimal reach for health. Thinking about diet, you know, diet's a classic one. And I, I see on your website, you, you do nutritional advice for people. And that is one of this really is one of those areas fields where people do love to bring out the one true way for all human beings in all times so it's like <laughs> veganism full-on carnivore vegetarian paleo mm -hmm. um keto i mean it's like and body type well i mean body types are so varied mm -hmm. um across the world yeah and, you know, it's, it's interesting how a lot of that recommendation of the one true diet 
has kind of come out a bit out of this new age postmodern worldview. Um, which is interesting because it's it's all about that kind of individual, you know, everybody doing things differently, diversity. But there's this when it comes to diet, there's this real fundamentalism, you know. And there's, uh, I've experimented with all sorts of diets in my life, <laughs> all of it fruitarian high protein macrobiotic um vegan uh all, all sorts of things and i've kind of landed at the end of it with the sort of just very simple basic balanced diet i mean i'm a, I'm a yeah. lacto ovo vegetarian occasionally mm -hmm. eat fish mm -hmm. uh, uh you know thinking of this this winter um i've been eating tons of fat loads mm -hmm. of cheese and loads mm -hmm. of eggs I've wanted that and it's felt right to do it. But when the summer comes around, I don't eat and I've, I've been eating quite a lot as well. And when the summer comes around, I eat much lighter meals, mm -hmm. uh, much more active. I'm outside. Uh, I don't really, really crave so much of, of the of the fat stuff. Um, and uh, so how do you manage so when when people come to you about for nutrition advice? Mm -hmm uh I'm, I'm assuming you don't say right well you just need to be vegan and and Never. be healthy forever <laughs> not, not not for the death of me um because again like you i i've explored a lot of dietary approaches over the last uh, 20 odd years uh, and part of how i kind of came into all of this was because initially uh, back in 1999 i went and saw a kinesiologist myself who identified some allergies for me and on the basis of that, I then started getting a lot more interested in, in my dietary situation and how that had changed things for me. And uh, I was already a vegetarian at that time, uh, had been for a couple of years. Uh, and, you know, I, I experimented with all sorts, Ayurvedic work, Chinese five element work, you know, all, uh, I, I did vegan and, and vegetarianism for about 12 years, but it made me sick. Um, you know, I, I it, it couldn't be sustained. And, and I would say currently, I'm probably, you know, 60% of my meals are vegetarian. Um, but I, I don't do dairy, because for me, casein in cheese is, is the devil. It's, uh, it's really not a, a healthy thing for me. So, so whenever I, I have people come in, uh, I, I do a lot of work with epigenetics, I, I look at what triggers genetic change within people. So I've been studying for um, probably, I mean, my first tuition with, with uh, this guy, Chris Astle-Smith, uh, was back in 2003, 2004, so a long time ago. But over the last kind of seven or eight years, I, I spend time with him every year studying and looking at uh, genetics and genetic signaling and, and various things around there, because it's, it's an incredible topic. And there are guiding orientations within types, just as there are with, within most things. But again, the map is not the territory. So what we tend to do is find a guiding orientation within a person based on their genetic predisposition. We will look at things like allergies with people as well, because there's no point in, in making... Um, you know, saying to somebody, okay, be a vegan, eat lots of green leafy vegetables, if they've got a congenital problem, that means that they can't process pyrrole properly, which is found mainly in green leafy plants, you know, so they're, they're just going to suffer in that diet. 
So, so part of it is an exploration always about their energy requirements. So I tend to be quite loose. I tend to talk about, okay, you, you know, I mean, the, the kind of the guiding orientations tend to be more towards protein rich or more away from that. So you tend to have people that are better with more kind of vegetables and carbs and less protein and people who are better with less carbs and more protein and fat. So that there's mean, this- I'm in that of... second category. Sure. But for many, many years, I thought the first category was the way to go for everybody. Sure. And I was, yeah. I was eating that diet, you know, uh, lots of grains and vegetables yeah. basically and fruit. Yeah. For yeah. years, I did it for yeah. years, and um, just out of curiosity and open-mindedness, I was started, you know, eating more eggs and yeah. and that kind of thing. I make my own kefir and those sort of things at home, and um, I feel and eating far less carbs, yeah. more fat, more eggs, and I still I I emotionally struggle with eating red meat. Sure, um, you know, I just love animals I, I don't you know i don't think it's evil to, to eat red meat at all yeah. um but uh personally i i find it difficult um but it, that i feel so much better for eating the way i do than than how i how i was um, yeah and and it to, to replace so say, you know just my main sort of fuel source was carbs to replace that more with fats now that took quite a shift because I was brought up with the low fat thing, you know, that yeah. fat's bad and, uh, whole, you know, grains are really good and whole grains and all that stuff. And it, it took yeah. quite a shift for me to to even allow myself to eat tons of fat and not yeah. worry about getting fat. And in fact, I'm less fat than I was before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and this, this is one of the things I find really interesting. I mean, when I ended my own vegetarianism, uh, it, it came from two years of, of really noticing me getting increasingly unwell and, and doing everything that I had in my capacity and my knowledge to improve that as a vegetarian. So I, I significantly upped my uh, fat content, my protein content for vegetable sources and so on. And that didn't do it for me because for me, I need a certain amount of purine rich food within the diet. And that can only be acquired through red meat. And, and I was really concerned, you know, and I, I had several different analyses done for me to look at this and they all came back in the same direction. And, and eventually I, I put my hands up and it happened to be as I was uh, going on my first trip out to Malaysia uh, and, and the previous year I'd, I'd watched parts of my family kind of tucking into some really nice local food uh, away uh, where we were. And uh, because it had had meat in it, it had meat in it. Uh, and yet I was smelling it, it smelled great. My body was obviously dying, for, literally dying for this stuff. And I was quite concerned when I brought meat back in that I just wasn't gonna cope with it. And from the very moment I started eating it again, my body just went, thank you. And, and it, I just felt the surge in vitality straight away. And so now I have a moderated uh, diet within that. But I think one of the things that is almost more important or as important as what you eat is where you're getting it from and what you're doing with it when you get it. So, for instance, where, where I am here in North Wales now, I'm just on the, on the uh, Cheshire uh, Welsh border here. 
literally uh, four and a half miles that way is the organic farm where I get some of my meat and about 10 miles that way is the other organic farm where I get my other sources of meat and they're all you know I've been to the farms I've spoken to the farmers I've seen what they do they're happy to talk you through all the processes they use and, and what they feel about their animals so the investment that they put into what it is that they're growing uh, and those relationships change things. You know, I, I've had a discussion on a, a number of occasions with, with vegans who are like, I don't want to kill anything. And I say to them, so how strict are you about organic then? And they say, well, I'm not because it's too expensive. And I said, great, you're still paying for the death of thousands of lives, millions of lives every year then. Because not only are the people that are producing your non-organic vegetarian and vegan food using pesticides to kill insects which are then having knock-on effects on other populations but I mean certainly uh, for instance in Australia uh, lots of monoculture crops that are being grown out there under license they have to kill game animals because if they didn't they'd eat the crops so you know you're, you're still investing into those regimes because of not really understanding where your food is coming from, what you're doing with it. And then if you're buying it pre-processed, I mean, a lot of the vegan pre-processed food at the moment, to be honest, it's pointless. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's like, you know, whatever your feelings are about McDonald's or any of the other companies, you know, if you're buying a vegan burger off McDonald's, you're still buying a processed piece of crap. Yeah. You know, if you're buying all these pre-prepared boxed vegan meals, a lot of the time they're so highly processed, you know, fats and oils that will be rancid and poor quality that actually you're not doing yourself any health favors. All you're doing is alleviating some kind of privileged guilt that you have about the fact that everything on this planet consumes everything else on this yeah. planet and will do forever. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, to live is to kill. Yes. You know, it's... Um, yeah. I've heard um, uh, Jeff Salzman say before that that's where he feels God fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my own stance with uh, with with not eating red meat is uh, for me it's it's an emotional sense, a personal emotional feeling. It has nothing to do with logic or reason. Sure. Um, and um, I, I know that anything I eat, I'm killing something. Yeah. Um, you know, not just, as you say, killing that plant. It's if I'm eating, you know, my um, organic sprouted wheat bread, uh, which I like to eat, that's grown in a field where, like, even just in the harvesting yeah. of it, tons of uh, mice and snakes and all sorts of things get killed and insects, yeah. you know. So for me, it's it's not... It's not that kind of thing which stops yeah, from sure. eating and, meat. Um, and that's always to be respected with people as well, because ultimately, whatever you choose, it don't matter. You know, whatever you choose, everything on this planet will die, you know, including me. Uh, it doesn't matter. And, you know, for me personally, this is part of where some of my own development has come to. Ultimately, there are a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't really matter. You know, there's only in the moment how it matters to you. So, so how I choose and how I encourage people to choose is choose the best that you can for yourself, you know, so that it, it's, it, it comes back to that sense of does that thing that you choose to eat offer you that sense of vitality? Is it offering you a sense of wellness? Do you feel better for doing it or not? 
you know, and what, whatever that choice is, for some people that's grains, for some people that's dairy, for some people that's meat, for some people that's anything natural, you know, what, whatever it is, you need to go down that path in a way that works for you, which is why I don't like to be prescriptive about diets with clients that come to see me, because I'm not the one that's going to eat it. You know, so I'm still going to encourage them not to use nonstick, not to use processed foods, you know, to try and use the best quality ingredients that they can access wherever they are, because ultimately that is going to give them the best sense of, of well-being and allowing them to choose whatever path they want to in their lives. Because ultimately, to me, it doesn't matter. You know, as long as I can support you in getting forward or moving up or expanding or being healthier, however you want to define it, you know, there's the success that we're going to get in the time together. Um, I only eat whole foods. So the, the food I eat is, is very simple. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like, you know, three or four ingredients, you know, it's, and it, it, each of those ingredients is just what it is. It's not yeah. got 20 ingredients itself. Yeah. Um, and the simpler, the older I get, the more simple the food is I eat. Yeah. Um, partly because I have two young kids um, and I, m most of my time is spent being their dad. Yeah. Um, my wife, my wife and I work part time and, um, you know, we're in a phase where she's doing more work than I am. So I'm with the kids most of the time. And so I, I need food that's quick to prepare. There is never a, lot, a long time to prepare a leisurely meal. Um, so that makes it simple. Um, but also I, I just feel so much better for eating yeah. very simple food. My body deals with it with it better. So for me, that's that's a real um, that's a, that's an, an important thing. And 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 I what you are saying is that just feeds back into this idea which i'm I, i'm all about with all of this stuff is that this is complicated yes <laughs> um and but well, not complicated it's c complex or whatever you know it's yeah. the the ethics of eating food is 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 complex as well yeah um and as you say you know you could you could t take a very very simplistic look at this food versus this food one might seem uh on face value to be an ethical food product and the other one is some barbaric you know bloodthirsty thing but actually if you did the actual analysis you know the the deep analysis going right back to the source of it then you've actually can make an uh, uh, the correct decision about which is the most ethical food to eat sure um, and you know we people crave simplicity uh, yeah. I, I create we all do you know we, we just want life to be fucking simple because it's so damn difficult a lot of the time just yeah. give me something simple give me something simple like vegan is vegan is ethical and this meat eating isn't um, yes but it's not that simple no no sure um, and then you add into that something like, like you know you, you might be eating your organic food or your vegan food but if you're sat at a table with an alcoholic abusive parent who's shouting at you while you eat the effect of the food on your body is also then changed so so we always have to take it in its bigger context and, and understand it from the point of view of it's the sum total of everything. And that's how, even down to how I prepare it, how and where I eat it. Like I won't sit here in front of my computer and eat a meal because I know that what I'm digesting is not the thing on my plate. 
you know, my eyes are taking in other sources of information. So even little things about how we do a thing, sometimes you don't even need to change the diet. You know, I'd always recommend people take out the things that they know their bodies are sensitive to and don't metabolize well. Um, but how we then take on the food, the speed at which we chew, the focus within all of that, you know, and it's not something that's static. And what I'm hearing from you as well is that your own process has evolved over time. My process has evolved over time. In 10 years, I don't know that I'm going to be eating the way I do now. Yeah, fact, I, I, I don't, I don't want, I, I, I am assuming in 10 years time, I'm not going to be eating what I'm eating now. No. I, you know, I, I, I could, I almost feel I can say that as a matter of fact, that yeah. I'm not going to be eating the same diet in 10 years. I hope yeah. I'm not. You know, yeah. so. And even seasonally, we should be varying that. And again, this is one of the things, unfortunately, that our supermarkets have slightly derailed for us, is that we can get hold of things in virtually any season. And we don't really consider the implication of what it's taken to achieve that. Uh, I mean, I, I was surprised a few years ago, my partner and I, uh, we, we went to visit my brother who was staying out in Portugal, and we took a two-week vacation and ended up driving to my partner's sister's wedding in southern Spain. So we did, took a camper van, did a big drive, you know, beautiful experience. And there's a part of southern Spain that has the, the glass houses, the grow houses in for a lot of uh, fruit and vegetables. And I reckon there was a stretch that we drove that was near, nearly 100 kilometers long and those grow houses were probably two kilometers wide in terms of how much they took up on the coast you know it's visible from space that's how much of that food is being grown in that way mm. and and so all of these factors make the difference and and again this is this epigenetic signaling it's kind of like well having eaten a strawberry in december that was grown in a glass house somewhere the information that that's giving my body about what it ought to be doing where it is it is very different than if i get the the strawberries off my allotment which is a 10 minute walk and they're only going to be available for one month of the year you know it, it's it's a very very different process and i think we like you say the complexity of the world makes it difficult to hold how much information there really is about this and we do we crave that simplicity so having um you know a uh, this is the diet, you know, if, we, if we're given that, it seems to make it easier. But essentially, all we're doing a, a, is pigeonholing ourselves into something that needs that ability to adapt and change over time. Mm. So we, we've really gone down the rabbit hole on diet. Um, <laughs> what, what, are the, what, are, what are the other personal practices that, that you do? You know, so someone who might be listening to this or watching it, um you know so far you're just some guy that talking about this stuff and you know we've been talking about how you you've got you it's important for, for practitioners to walk their talk mm. um so i know there's all sorts of things you do because i've just been on your website looking at all your your bio and also you know we've i've met you and we've talked before so could you just just lay out some of the the core practices that that you, you're the mainstays of your life the things that you've done for a yeah. long time 
Yeah, I, I mean, that, that, that's pretty straightforward for me. I, I consider myself to be a fairly uncomplicated character in that way. So uh, again, I, I'm going to kind of refer back to the, the integral framework and, and specifically kind of integral life practice as an idea, because that, that does hold how I tend to look at what I do. So there's always something for the body involved there. So diet is one, we, you know, we, we've chewed that one quite nicely there. Movement is the other side of that. So uh, for me, my, my exercise, my movement has changed and evolved a lot over the years as my age, you know, I'm 45 now. So, so my process is changing as I, I go on. Now for, for pretty much 30 years on and off, I've uh, done a Qigong practice. So for anyone that doesn't know that, it's a little bit like Tai Chi, but a lot easier to use and is much more health focused than martial focused. Um, so I do Qigong on a regular basis, uh, and that might be four, five, six days a week. It might be two, three days a week. It depends on my week. Uh, and then also I like to rock climb. So I go climbing um, uh, like this this winter. I've just taken back up snowboarding again because we've managed to get some good snow around here. And as we can't travel away. So I like to snowboard. I love hill walking mountains. So walking for me is a really important part of it. Um, I love music and dance and live music. Uh, so I play the guitar myself and I love hearing musicians and, and kind of listening to music. Um, and also, you know, within my relationship, actually having quality time within my relationship and, and for the two of us, uh, because again, my, my partner is a similar age to me. We uh, are self-elected to not have children. You know, that, that's our, our kind of path to walk through life. And uh, so we make sure that we focus time to do things that bring us joy. And, and that might be any one of these exploratory activities. We, we both love being out in the hills and, uh, and in nature. We love to travel and explore culture. And uh, we, you know, we both uh, love music. So we'll make sure that we do things so we have that richness of communion with each other as well. And you know, for the, for the most part, that those are the big things. And then the other thing is I love to study. You know, I, I love to learn. I love to uh, engage in conversation and, and thinking and just explore ideas. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I reckon I've probably forgotten as many things as I've learned. And, you know, I'll, I'll probably end up forgetting more things than I ever learned. It, it's, it's a beautiful thing just to, to look at the world from different perspectives and to, to hear about different things, which is why I like the travel as well, because of that, that cultural variance in there. Um, so, so I like to explore all of those dimensions, really. And again, that really brings me back into body, mind, relationships, environment, and then making sure I'm doing a little bit of something for all these parts of myself. Um, you know, I, I do have a meditation practice as well. A lot of that will come through in my Qigong, but for myself, I, I tend to then have two meditation processes. Uh, I tend to do Shikantaza, uh, which is a Zen practice, which translates as just sitting. So for that one, I will just sit sometimes with eyes open, sometimes with eyes closed, and I'll just sit. And, and, and as a challenge, that one for me, I mean, I was a restless child. So the challenge is actually the surrender to just being there. And it doesn't matter what my mind does. Um, and then the other, I tend to use uh, um, breathing practices, uh, kriyas that come uh, through life force qigong, which is the, the system that I practice. So they're, they're kind of guided breathing processes uh, that I use within there as well. Mm. 
Wow, that's a lot. And you've done a hell of a lot of training. I mean, I was, you know, looking at the list of all the trainings you've done, it is it's a very impressive list of, um, di you know, diplomas and this and that. Yeah, yeah. But it's exciting. You know, th this is it. We, we've got a world that's full of such interesting stuff. And, you know, bodies are so infinitely complex. Uh, you know, functional medicine and epigenetics is a big thing for me. And, and you know, having could, studied could just, that over the last... Um, define epigenetics and how that applies to, to, to the work you do. Um, yeah, sure. So, so epigenetics can be defined as that which is above genetics. So the, the Human Genome Project, when it finished at the end of the 90s, we had this idea that somehow human beings were going to show up as, as being infinitely more complex than uh, other organisms. And yet we had relatively only a few thousand more base pairs than cabbages and flies. You know, it was it was always a joke about that. And, and part of what was identified at that point was that during that research, they spent all their time taking everything away from around the DNA just to look at the DNA. Yeah. And they forgot about how the DNA was being informed by the environment. And there are two kind of significant mechanisms for that. The first is from a physical matter point of view. So if I put carrots in my mouth or I put arsenic in my mouth or I put lead in my mouth, that will have an effect on my genetics because my body's physical container will respond to different things in different ways. And that will trigger encoding within my DNA to respond in certain ways. So that could be either pro or anti-inflammatory, for example, if we were to look at it from uh, just that perspective. Um, and, and, you know, and research that's come out in the last few years has shown that certain epigenetic traits, certain patterns in our genetics can be retained for as much as 11 generations. So that if the stimulus from the environment comes in any time within that 11 years, it's going to re-trigger that pattern and it would take another 11 years before that could possibly be bred out again. So, you know, if we look maybe just into the heritage of us as, as two white English European males, you know, there's likelihood that we would have had uh, factors around mining and war and, and other things that would have come into our environment in our ancestors that we will still hold those genetic codes for now. So were the right stimulus to come in, it would uh, express potentially that pattern unless we had enough stuff to limit it. And the it's, other places, does it. an interesting coincidence between. So I mean, this this is, um, you know, th there's real science here. Mm. Um, I mean, I was listening to a, something about rats being you know, smelling almonds and getting electric shock, and their descendants never having had that stimulus applied to them were afraid of the, the smell of almonds. I mean, that's right. Um, but there's like, an interesting coincidence between this idea and then this kind of more spiritual perhaps new agey thing of you know, family karmas and mm -hmm. you know being passed down through generations um which to a lot of people seems a little bit woolly and mm -hmm. fluffy and you know, it's always interesting when you get these kind of folky type ideas that when people start actually getting their instruments out and measuring this stuff is there something there? I mean, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it, it's it's different 
different between males and females as well. So, so for instance, as a pair of males, our genetics are as absolutely up to date as they can be in our sperm right at the moment that we deliver it. You know, 30 days uh, we can look at if we talk about kind of sperm production roughly around a 30 day cycle. So, you know, my if, if I were to conceive a child now, it would hold every single trauma that's embedded in my genetics from my birth. Now, with women, it's different because if as uh, a mother, um, so let, let's, let's get this right. So if as a mother, your eggs that you hold in your ovaries were actually developed while you were in your own, while you were in your own mother's, so essentially uh, a generation back while they were in utero. So my mother's eggs were actually developed in my grandmother. And then that process is arrested until puberty, at which point one egg per month is then matured through into a, a usable rate. And the genetics in there are then a generation back. So the genetics that I inherited from my mum actually contained my grandmother's traumas because it was her eggs at that point that then maturing through. And so you, you get all of this complexity over time. And that's without thinking about how emotional uh, events will also impact on our genetics. You know, Candice Pert's work back in the 1980s, uh, A Molecules of Emotion, her kind of groundbreaking book to describe how she discovered cell receptor sites. You know, th this is the informing by our perception. So my perception of a situation is enough to change the neurotransmitter cascade through my body, which will then change what my genetic expression is in that moment. Again, it could be more pro or anti-inflammatory if we use that as a simple model. So I, I heard Jordan Peterson saying something about the sort of central message of the Christian, of Jesus and the Christian uh, Christianity was that... Um, you're going to suffer in life and you're going to be, you know, there's going to be Judas's in your life and you can either enter into this life uh, voluntarily or be kicked, be dragged into it, kicking and screaming. Mm -hmm. And that the sort of the archetype of, of Jesus is that he voluntarily took on this life of suffering Mm -hmm. um and uh deceit and um uh you know people cheating around him and him ultimately dying a horrible and gruesome death um and the 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 the, 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 the sort of the circuits in the brain that are, are operating are very very different mm -hmm. um you so you have the same circumstance one person or so animal experiments, oh, you know, again, ethically mm -hmm. complicated, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but, you know, with, with all sorts of experiments done with animals, with, with helplessness and all these kind of things, and the, 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 the difference between this volunt voluntarily doing things and involuntarily. And you know, that, this really gets to the core of spiritual practice, in the sense of not the kind of bypassing type of spirituality, but really going into life, which I think the Abrahamic religions have got one up on the Eastern religions in that sense, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so what does 
does that kind of correlate a bit with with what you're saying? Uh, absolutely yeah sure and i mean uh, a really easy modern example as well that that kind of transfers up from that if you take a character like wim hof and his ability to be able to sit in ice water uh, because he's taught himself how to deal with the situation in a way that doesn't create him stress you know so having it's it's part of what I've been saying as well in, in this kind of challenging year that we've been having with uh, the social situation we have around us is that if you know it's a trap, how you go into it is different. You know, so by, you know, and again, Genpo Roshi, who was kind of my inspiration in Zen practice, you know, Buddhism 101, if you know that uh, attachment is the cause of suffering, redefine how you attach. You know, look at how you see the world. And, and this is why, to a, a, a great degree, I'm not too worried about too many things. Because if, if I draw myself back and look at the world on a larger scale, it doesn't matter. You know, it, it really doesn't. So we can, we can adjust ourselves. You know, and again, in an, from an NLP point of view, we would often talk about people who are struggling with things and who are anxious about things. It's often like the thing is really close to them like this. They've got no distance from it no dissociation so we teach them to frame it in a way that makes it to look further away from them change the volume on it desaturate the colors in it adjust the perception of the environment in a way that gives you a better response in your body and if we can make that adjustment then it makes a great difference to the outcome that we get from it if I'm not worried about doing a thing, how my body behaves during that is very different than if I am worried about a thing. Mm. So what I think one of the dangers of doing lots of these practices in your life is that you can end up thinking that you're Superman. And so, you know, we've been in, almost in a year of lockdowns what we in lockdown three now and, and it's lockdown three yeah lockdown three it's been a <laughs> it's been a really really difficult year yeah um and so i i live in a great circumstance i've i've live in a great house i live with my extended family um i've got lovely kids great relationship with my wife i eat really healthy i work out i meditate every day um you know do uh, um, psychotherapy for years uh you know so all of these practices you know so I, I firing on all these cylinders and, and but then i can get a bit hyper masculine about it mm -hmm. and i for the last it's two to four weeks i've had difficulty with my breathing my breathing's mm -hmm. felt like it's gone from um automatic to manual mm. and so it in the, the the dialogue the dialogue the monologue or whatever i was having in my mind was you're in the best circumstance to do lockdown in and mm -hmm. to deal with this coronavirus and all that stuff. I'm not in a vulnerable age category or blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. You should not find this difficult. And so that's what I was telling myself, you know. Yeah. And But my body was saying otherwise, you know. Yeah. So, and I was like, what the fuck is this? You know, it's like, my, was my breathing wrong? And, um, you know, it's like grinding my teeth at night and all these, mm -hmm. these kind of things. 
So my body was was saying there's something up with you, and and I started praying. So mm-hmm. in my meditation practice, I uh, sort of dropped my some of the usual practices I do and um, really started. Well, I've always pre I cycle through different meditation practices, um, you know, uh, through the week. So I've done a lot of prayer um, in the past, but I kind of really doubled down on it. Mm. And um, I, because I was brought up with, uh, with God and Christianity and stuff, I, I choose to pray to uh, the goddess, That's mm-hmm. who I just call life is the name of my goddess. Um, and um, I just asked for help. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, um, I just, it just dawned on me. It, it was, I mean, yeah, I could say, you know, it kind of like the goddess spoke to me or whatever, but just two things. One was, you're just finding this really difficult. Just mm. a minute, dude. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Actually, I'm finding this lockdown really difficult. Mm. This whole year has been really difficult. And yeah. I do all of these Superman activities and, you know, I'm I'm really healthy and I get into all sorts of different states of consciousness with psychedelics and meditation and blah, 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 blah. But I was, I was being uh, crippled by just run-of-the-mill fucking anxiety yeah. about what we're going through. And yeah. th- f- all the things, lack of social connection, not seeing friends, you know, all the kind of down to earth stuff, just dead simple. And of mm. course, the narrative that I was was like, oh, this all this big spiritual thing. And I'm, you know, blah, 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 trying to, you know, on the verge of some big breakthrough. And all of that was a load of shit. And, um, and the other thing that came through was, and this kind of was almost like a voice from the goddess was make, make some beautiful things for me. Was, mm. It was like, she said that to me and you know came up in my meditation so i started playing a lot more music i mm-hmm. play the cora um it's an african harp lute thing and my god that helped and it's like i was you know playing this music for her you know but it was it really helped uh, and flow flow is such an important thing for health um and well-being and there are things and, and enjoy, you know, flow really happens when you're doing things that you enjoy. And I, I hadn't been playing my my musical instrument, you know, for a couple of months or something. Uh, I'd just been kind of knuckling down to doing this, doing that, you know, being the ultimate dad and blah, 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 blah. But the so reason why I bring this up was a couple of things. One is that just because so this is the map's not the territory again mm. just because you're doing fucking wim hof and and, and strength training meditation and psychedelic all, all these things you know you think right that's it life's never going to get me and mm. then you can be and this is where shadow work comes into it um that you can be hamstrung by some really really basic down to earth stuff that you're not looking at because you think you're doing all this superman stuff Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the other th- reason why I bring it up is that 
to do with this volunt voluntary involuntary thing too that I was in a place where I felt I was just in involuntarily being crushed by chaos mm. and I and I'd lost that responsiveness of life mm. like you know there's like you're in a rapport with life you know it's like I was just doing my stuff making life uh work for me that's what mm. I was thinking mm. but I'd lost that kind of rapport the, the dialogue the rapport and um and that's where this prayer came into it and mm. I, I, I'm not like I don't believe in the old, old man with a white beard who lives in the clouds and I don't believe in the female version either <clears throat> when I say goddess I mean talking about something you know this could be compatible with 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 atheism as far as I'm concerned and placebo and um, you know all of those kind of things so so I think I what the things I'm trying to draw out of that is this the danger of the Superman thing yeah. and then the 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 importance of of flow as a yeah. as a as a healing um, yeah. thing and and this you know re responsiveness of of actual life yeah um there's 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 three things there that was a little bit of a chaotic yeah. <laughs> yeah, but good but, and yeah, it, it, it actually reminds me of a few things as well that that i think are super important and not really being talked about in this last year as well and the first of i mean i in my perception of of you ralph i would uh consider you to to a be aware and b be sensitive in well, the... That's the, the other thing is when i get into this hyper masculine thing which i know i see it in on the internet a lot you know all these people that when i sit when i'm talking about flow again again this is the same all the biohackers the flow people um they're doing it this hyper masculine thing mm -hmm. of like yeah just hack the shit out of nature you know yeah. make it work for you yeah and um it's 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 kind of lost sight of all this sensitivity and one of the things that actually came up in my meditation was my mum saying to me you've always been a sensitive boy ralph yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. true. i am a very very sensitive but i because mm. i do all of this stuff i think no i'm not i'm you know invulnerable and it's um yeah but for me, there's a super important element to this, which I don't find is being discussed enough, certainly in the circles that I'm connected into. And that is the fact that we are picking up on the current of our culture. Oh, so yeah, that was the other thing I forgot to mention. Sorry, <coughs> is that the other thing I realized is that I became addicted to the news. I was yeah. looking at the the news five times a day, and I've yeah. never done. I've I've always kept abreast of global uh, events. <clears throat> yeah, I'm not someone that sticks my head in the sand and is like you know blah 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 everything's great. But since the coronavirus hit, a it's been f it's been unprecedented in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. It's been fascinating. Mm -hmm. yeah. But for the safety of my family, I've felt like I've had to keep up with it all. Yes. You know, because things are and happening fast exactly and and i so then i I, re, I i stopped reading the news every day so what i do now uh, you know i've only been doing this for like a week or something is no news yeah. and just on the weekend i caught up with uh, my favorite news show mm -hmm. uh, gonna shout out majid nawaz weekend show on lbc i think the guy's great 
I just listened, didn't listen to all the conversation. I just listened to his little kind of synopsis of the weeks and, mm -hmm. um, and that's it. I'm done. And fucking hell has that made a difference? Yes. Yeah. Uh, because, because again, course... I wasn't just my own stress. I was just picking up on the world is stressed and yes. it's like there's a medicinal, there's a medicinal level of being aware of what's going out there. You know, in your medicinal for yourself, but in terms of serving humanity, not being ignorant. But there's a point where a medicine becomes a poison, and the news, I'd gone over yeah. that level with the news, and it was toxic for me, and it was poisoning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, rant and you see, because we're because <laughs> we're picking up, we're a herd animal by design. You know, human beings are designed to live in cultures, in groups. And part of what we're doing is we're picking up on other parts of our herd being activated. And it's part of what we do within herds. And you can look into the animal world for, for the correlations in this as well. But if one part of the herd is alerted by a thing, other parts of the herd will be alerted. And a big indicator of that is actually through facial expressions half of which we've taken away. So what we become is we don't know how to feel okay in the environment because we don't have enough members in the herd telling us that it's okay. And so we're all being triggered and activated and we're feeling this cultural malaise, this cultural weather, and we don't know how to deal with it. So, you know, like, like yourself, there have been points where I felt overtaken by aspects of this until I can grasp the fact that I'm coming away from something that's just about me, you know, and I do, I regularly ask myself the question, who does this belong to? Is it actually mine mm. or am I picking up on, on something else? And, you know, one of the things that I, I've taught for many years with people is the fact that just because you don't have a receiver in your hands doesn't mean the signal isn't in the atmosphere. So for instance, uh, I don't have a radio in this room I'm in right now, but the radio waves that would allow a radio to pick up on all those programs are still in this room. And the same goes for, for these little devil devices here. You know, So my partner and I, we make a point of when we go out walking and we go out and do anything, those stay home because although those signals are still in there, they're amplified through this. So what I'm doing is making sure that I'm spending enough time just in nature. I'm spending enough time just checking in. Am I really just experiencing myself or am I picking up on what's going on around me? And as soon as I can create a classification for some of that, it gets easier because as soon as I acknowledge actually, you know, they've just changed the rules or this has happened or that's changed or this is going on, then again, I can reframe and bring myself back into center. And it's amazing how much we give our center away to other authorities. And it's one of the things I'm really grateful for within Life Force Qigong, the system that I practice and, and is taught to me by my older brother, that the idea is you hold your own center, you know, and you choose what you do for yourself by being in your own center. And if you want to give your center away to somebody, then you give it away, but recognize you're going to respond to them, not to you. So we come back into being in our own center and being grounded in the space that we really are in. You know? And the question that you'll, you'll see sometimes within um, 
mental health circles around anxiety is you know look at the room around you and identify physical things and within that I always ask the question is the threat present in the room because a lot of the time we're anxious about things that are conceptual not actual you know so is there a lion running down the street at me is there a ball of fire hurtling out the sky are floodwaters rising around my feet is there a man with a gun in my room you know what is the threat that i think i'm responding to is it something that's conceptual or is it real and if it isn't real get back into the moment drop it you know because at this point is there anything i can or can't do with that so i've been meditating you know since the late 1990s and um i can get i can get into states of meditation where there's no problem with anything Mm -hmm. um yes i'm thinking about spiritual bypassing here Mm -hmm. that you know that is there for me to do yeah when i want yeah but i can't spend my life in meditation no. Because I've got a family, I've got young kids, and yeah. you know I don't want to. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know it's it's difficult. That, so the meditate the meditating is the easy bit, but then mm-hmm. bringing that into your day to day life, mm-hmm. um, that's where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. And you know when it, I've talked to people about this, you know, what I've been describing about anxiety and stuff and say, well, you know, surely you can just you know, meditate or there's a meditation that can deal with that. Well, yeah, but also no. And, and you know, there's the, the bit, the, the sort of, the part of your identity that is free from everything is always like that, whether you're anxious or not. So, you know, you can... I mean, this is one of the kind of funny things is I, I can simultaneously be experiencing my expansive spaciousness in the moment whilst having a panic attack, you know? And it's just mm-hmm. because yeah. you know that enlightened mind or whatever, um, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you're not going to have panic attacks. And, Absolutely. And, and again, this gets back to this, you know, panacea thing that, you know, oh, if you meditate, everything in your life will be sorted out. You'll never be anxious again, blah, 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 you know, coronavirus, yeah, whatever. And um, yeah. it's bullshit. And yeah. that's, you know, I think that it's why. So I, I'm I'm always been more, see, there's two different types of meditation. There's sort of meditation as a relaxation technique. And then there's meditation, which is more to do with exploring the nature of consciousness and your identity and that sort of thing mm. and i've i've always been more drawn to the the exploration of you know mm. who i am who we are our consciousness and that um and the the, the relaxation stuff's been a sort of byproduct of it but if if your path of meditation practice is more on that kind of awakening side of things i don't you you can't expect that to stop you from feeling anxious or yeah. worried or bummed out by stuff, you know. Yeah. Or, you know, you you could be, and in fact, there's been many examples of this of people who are um, extremely um, well practiced in in meditation and 
seated in, in, a, in an extremely deep part of themselves all the time who are miserable you know for most of their lives um or have extreme depression you know they've been tibetan lamas who um you know have, have had de depression um, yeah. but at the same time they know that part of themselves which is not you know it's beyond all of this yeah. um it's it's these are the sort of things that i think you know you learn through years of practice there's this honeymoon period with anything where you think right this is it you know um but yeah you get a bit more humility about it as as time goes on and and you understand the mysteriousness of it all or, or yeah. you don't also understand it but you just you actually you grok it it's yeah. it becomes part of you that yeah. yeah and i'm very much for you know I, i'm fully with you on that that ability to be able to hold these different spaces at the same time and and similar to you you know my meditation history goes back a, a similar length of time and and it is really important to me that we're not in denial of anything that is a problem you know that there there is no point you know if if you've got a problem going on with your body or there's a problem going on with the environment, there is no point in denying it because that is not necessarily going to fix it. Mm. But we can also appropriately frame things so that the language that we're using to hold something is actually reasonable and helps us. So that, you know, okay, we, we, can, we can look at the... <laughs> the existential threat of coronavirus for example you know if i step outside of my house then i'm going to kill all the old people around me you know the, that potential exists but the reality of it is we're talking about a, a virus that doesn't affect 80 percent of people that catch it and has a 99.5 percent survival rate framing that changes the belief about the narrative because it pulls into frame things that are then more appropriate around that situation. So when I'm anxious, if I can identify why I'm anxious, what I'm anxious about, it doesn't necessarily stop the anxiety, although often it will, but it allows me to be okay with the fact that I'm anxious. Yeah. Because ultimately it, it, it's in, weather. Uh, another th another one of these statements that came up, you know, these this kind of goddess prayer meditation was just don't worry about it honey you're not the one living you know, i'm you you know i'm mm -hmm. i mother nature it's like mother nature saying i'm actually the one living your life <laughs> you know, you're you're just the tip of the iceberg you know mm -hmm. um so just don't worry about it you know i i do the breathing yeah you, know, you, you don't do <laughs> you know you don't do that stuff and if 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 you're feeling anxious it's okay i mean for yeah. fuck's sake you know it's I, i'm not it's not so much the virus i'm worried it's it's the the lock this the lockdown the measures and yeah. all this stuff and you know thinking about um you know epigenetics and long-lasting effects through generations i mean god knows how the impact of this year and probably next year um are gonna have on um you know our descendants yeah yeah, absolutely. And, and I do try and hold for myself the fact that whatever we're experiencing it is just weather. It will pass. And we know that if we're going to be in a storm, 
we dress accordingly. And there are days when we get change, you know, just as the weather will change. And I keep on trying to remind myself about other time frames. You know, bubonic plague went on for a long time. You know, Spanish flu when it happened at the beginning of the 20th century, two and a half years. The two big world wars in the 20th century, they went on for like years. You know, all of these things, all of these weathers that take place are just that. The conditions around us change. We adapt to do the best that we can in the environment. Some of that adaptation won't be adequate and some people won't make it through. Others, it will be adequate and we will make it through and then we'll adapt into something else later. And, and that's all nature has done, life has done, which we are never separate from. We like to think ourselves as not part of nature, but we're as much a part of nature as anything else. It just happens to be that the anthills or the nests that we make are something else and it will all pass as will we. And, and just holding some of that to a degree allows me to calm myself because I know I don't really have anything to fear. I think working on this stuff on lots of different levels gives you the best chance of dealing with it. That you yeah. know, so you're describing a kind of cognitive NLP type, you know, assessment of it. But then there is actually, um, you know, more um, embodied things you can do. So for me, it was playing my musical instrument really helps. Yeah, agreed. Same. Um, you know, <clears throat> even though the weather's shit just getting outside you know it's it's that connecting with friends you know me doing this call with you has has been really helpful because yeah. you know most exactly, of the time yeah. i'm talking to my kids about minecraft you know it's um so well, that's it. even going snowboarding you know the we managed three days of snowboarding that was like being on holiday man the, the, i i haven't snowboarded in 12 years and just the sensation of gliding down frozen water while looking at a mountain view. It was so invigorating and so rejuvenating. It was just incredible. And finding ways to connect with people, music, culture, the things that, again, bring richness in. Mm. What is it that actually brings vitality, richness, joy into my life as much as I can, you know, in the ways that work for me as an individual, just as you're finding the ways that work for you as an individual yeah. and using those as the adaptations that help us to pass the time while the weather's shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it'd be quite a good thing to just end on is um, when people think of health promoting activities, they quite often think that, you do something you don't enjoy just because it makes you healthy. You know, it's like you choose the that food, you know, your, you choose your um, salad over that chocolate bar, you know, because the, the salads give you with the chocolate bars much nicer to eat or or you don't really like meditating, but you force yourself to sit there. You hate going to the gym, but you're on the treadmill, you know, and it's. Yeah health doesn't have to be like that you know and, and it, it shouldn't quite, be i would well, it say it shouldn't be like that yeah and but i think quite often quite often people start, so when i think so if i think about my own uh, journey with um strength training when i first got into it i was uh, lifting weights and I kind of enjoyed it. It was quite cool. But and I never went to the gym. I always did it at home. 
Uh, I knew that right from the outset. But then as time went on, I moved more to, towards the bodyweight stuff. And now I exclusively do bodyweight training. Mm. And my body feels so much better now than it did when I was lifting weights, for example. And I enjoy it and I love it. And uh, you know, same with the meditation practice. When I first started meditating, honestly, I didn't enjoy it. It was boring. My body hurt that kind of thing. But as time went on, I found the types of meditation I actually really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. uh, and now, you know, well, for many years, actually, I, I love meditating. I just, you know, it's uh, there's never a time really when I sit down and I'm like, oh, for God's sake, when's yeah. the timer going to go off? Um, and I think we, the, it, it, that's where the, the participants, you know, it's not, the the a lot of responsibility is is for the participant to actually find the way so you might suggest something say well this is going to make you healthy yeah. but the participant the person has come to see you has to find the version of that that they really enjoy because yeah. you will and and this is where flow flow comes into it it's very difficult to get into a flow state um with something you don't enjoy yeah um and also with Flow. There's this sweet spot where you're you're at, you're working your edge, so you're you're doing something you find you're quite complicated. It's not it's not so familiar. It's become automated, but it's not too difficult that you're just suddenly in your mind trying to figure it out. It's mm. kind of there's this sweet spot um, that's that's really enjoyable, and it's it you feel so good when you come out of it. And and for me. There's lots of things I do which promote flow, but you know, one of them is playing my musical instrument. Mm -hmm. You were just describing that scene on the, you know, snowboarding with the on the frozen water with the the with the beautiful sky around you and all that stuff. And there's something there when people think of spirituality and health, you can get quite puritanical about it. Yeah. And and again, I don't know whether the you know you is this I might be kind of forcing this concept on that, but a kind of a hyper masculine thing, you know, functionality, blah, blah, blah. And there's this more softer, more feminine approach to it, um, which is, you know, might be more you know, sensual and. Um, and, I, you know, it, perhaps if we were women having this conversation, they we, we might have, have been over feminine about our intuition <laughs> just feel it trust your knowing yeah, yeah too much chocolate and you know not enough salad i don't know what <laughs> and uh might be say well you know we need a bit more masculinity and i think that's you know they're they're, they're very clumsy archetypes sure. really this masculine feminine type of thing you know but you might think of yin yin and yang might be more appropriate or something mm -hmm. um and uh Sorry, you know, like yin and yang are always states of flow as well. That there's more of one, more of the other than moving around. And I think if there's anything that that I I really try and encourage people to understand it is hold anything lightly, and adapt it with what's actually present for you in that moment. You know, if if you're not going to get joy out of doing a thing, 
yeah, probably not a good choice to do it. But if you're constantly choosing the chocolate bar over the salad and, and your bowels are wrecked and you've got loads of inflammation and your joints hurt, you've got to ask yourself the question about, well, why are you choosing the chocolate bar? You know, what, it, what is the joy behind that that you're choosing? And is it really food that you're hungry for at that point? Or are you using it as a poor substitute for something that you're not looking beyond the obvious? So that there has to be this sense of self-inquiry and awareness and intuition and feeling into a moment, along with a balance of decent reasoned choice about why I'm doing what I'm doing. So that it's, it's neither one nor the other. And you can't say on this day, I must be this or this. You know, it could be both either, neither, you know, but just allowing ourselves to, to adapt as the circumstances, as the weather dictates. Hmm. I seem, you know, so much of this is is polarity work that, um, you know, not not trying to collapse the situation into one thing or the other, you mm. know. So someone could take what you've just said and say, oh, you're being all kind of like, you know, those mystical sayings where it's like, move, but don't move. And, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know, be silent whilst being noisy. You know, it's, it, it's not this kind of re saying that things are bespoke and down to the individual. It's not saying, well, I've got nothing to help you with. I can't. Yeah, you know, sure. It's all down to you, man. You know, it's, it's <laughs> not that. It, it, no, no. It's a, you, you, you need to be given some yeah. grist. You know, yes. or, you know, some you know, you need to be given that bit of grit that's going to go in the oyster and become the pearl. You know, that's got to come from somebody, and that's why you would seek help. Yeah, yeah, and and that's perfectly okay as well. It, it's for me, it's an educational process working with people to understand what they understand about themselves and what their beliefs are and, and how they manage it. And and there's a phrase that I, I jokingly use with people. But the basis of it is the way of, of kind of uh, dealing with that polarity in the I, I eat healthy all the time, except when I don't. Mm. I do this thing 100 percent, except on the moments where I don't. Mm. So so there's always this possibility of something else. And that in the moment where I do a thing, that's where I'm doing until I do something else. You know, so there's always this transition, this change between one thing and another. And, and we're never stuck on one side or the other unless we choose to be. We can always flow from one point to another. Uh, I'm going to do Qigong until I want to do something else. I'm going to eat my salad. I'm going to eat my healthy food until I see that awesome chocolate cake that I love. You know, and, and I'm going to find a balance in there and I'm going to hold everything in a way that doesn't I mean, the, the, the term that uh, I, I take from um, both Voice Dialogue, Helen Sidra Stone's work, and from Genpo Roshi's Big Mind work uh, is to dissolve exclusive identification with any one thing. So that I'm not stuck on any one track. Yeah, that, that's a good, good place to end on. So if people want to find out more about your integral health, um, mm -hmm. you know, where, where do they go? Uh, so easy places to go to bencolder.co.uk, which is my personal website, 
centerforintegralhealth.com, which is my clinic. Uh, and you can also find me at Benji Calder on Instagram or Ben Calder Integral Health on Facebook or Benji Calder on Twitter. Lots of places. Everywhere. Cool. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me, Ben. And thank you so much as well, Ralph. It's so beautiful to, to hang out, chat, connect again, really. It's, yeah. uh, it's almost like no time but all time. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's true. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, cool. All right, lots of love, and um, I will speak to you again soon. I made all the music that I use in my podcasts. If you'd like to hear more of my music, please visit SoundCloud and check out my profile, Ralph Cree.